0: the cnbc app global market news in one place customizable sections and personalized alerts stocks tracking interactive charts and market insights all in your hands stay connected stay informed download the cnbc app today
1: oh, we've got a great show for you today we've got karen and myself here in the studio we've got jeff down at the bank of england Threadneedle needle street and it's all about the central banks because the Fed follows through with a 50 basis point rate hike. That is the biggest move since the year 2000, as the chair, Jerome Powell, sparks a Wall Street rally by playing down talk of more aggressive increases.
2: 75 basis point uh, An increase is not something the committee is actively considering. There's a broad sense on the committee that additional 50 basis increases should be on, 50 basis point increases should be on the table for the next couple of meetings.
3: Well,
0: here in Threadneedle Street, the Bank of England is expected to make it four in a row with a 25 basis point increase. This with inflation at a 30 year high for the UK economy.
4: The lockdown effect hits China's services sector with activity falling at its second sharpest rate on record in April as COVID restrictions hurt supply and demand. Sokgen raises its bad loan provisions relating to Russia, casting a shadow over a bounce back in trading revenues during the first quarter. We'll be speaking with the deputy CEO later this hour.
1: Good morning. How are you? Good
4: morning. Very well, thank you. Good,
1: good, 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 good. Right. OK. I thought the market reaction, which Karen will come to in a moment, and we'll talk about with Carl Weinberg, was just brilliant. I, I, I Almost hilarious uh, in the reaction to Steve Leisman's question, uh, because that's what it was. It was uh, in the press comments. We'll come to that in a few moments time. So this chap here and his Federal Reserve, uh, they have raised now rates by 50 basis points, the biggest single hike for two decades. You have to go back to Oh, the year 2000. What a year that was, if uh, those of you who are in the market. a Year 2000, uh, since we had a 50 basis point hike. So they've now lifted the benchmark rate uh, to 0.75 to 1%. Don't forget, it's a range. You don't have just one single level. It marks the Fed's most aggressive step yet. As it looks to rein in surging inflation, however, the chairman Jerome Powell ruled out. Look, look at our graphics. This is just this is TV. You've got a big cross on 75 basis points. Ruled out tightening more aggressive. Uh, more aggressively, saying the Fed is not considering hiking rates by more than 50 basis points. Uh, at individual upcoming meetings. And that's the key. And that's why I think the market reaction is pretty hilarious at individual meetings. Now, that announcement has uh, investors now betting the Fed's rate will stand, or it says 2.79, but I think we're pretty much saying between 2.75 and 3% by the year end, slightly lower. I mean, we're talking decimals here was enough to put billions on the stock market. Uh, decimals difference than before Wednesday's decision. Now, Powell's less hawkish out. I don't think he is less hawkish, okay? okay? I don't think he is. But the market, always oh, 75 on the table. He never said, I'm going to do 75, by the way. But the markets loved it. They loved it. And it came on the back of CNBC's Steve Leesman asking the right question. And that's the power of journalism. The market moved. Don't make no bones about it on Steve Leesman's question and the Fed chair's answer, giving clarity on the rate of future hikes. Listen in. You
2: talked about using 50 basis point rate hikes or the possibility of them in coming meetings. Uh, Might there be something larger than 50? Is 75 or a percentage point possible? Um, And perhaps you could walk us through your calibration. Why one month should or one meeting should we expect a 50? Why something bigger? Why something smaller? What, what is the uh, the reasoning for the for the level of, of the amount of tightening thank you sure so um, 75 basis point in uh, an increase is not something the committee is actively considering what we are doing is uh, we raised 50 basis points today and and we've said that again assuming that economic and financial conditions evolve in in ways that are consistent with our expectations there's a broad sense on the committee that additional 50 basis increases should be on 50 basis point increase should be on the table for the next couple of meetings.
4: It wasn't just journalists looking for a distinction between 50 basis points and 75 basis points, 50 being a large move, 75 being a jumbo move, but it was also the market, and you could see the rally that was unlocked, the market getting rid of that worst case scenario now, and don't forget you start to ask the question, why not 75 basis points, and there is an interpretation that perhaps it would send the message to the market that the Fed had been behind the curve, hence requiring such a large sized move, so 50 basis points now and potentially more down the track, still enough to unlock a rally for tech stocks in particular. You could see the Nasdaq leading the charge 3.2% higher, outpacing the S&P and also the Dow. But those gains that you saw on the Dow, enough to take the index to its best gain that you've seen since late 2020, On the other major markets, it also means a build for the week. We've had a gain of roughly about 5% for the trading week on the NASDAQ. So a very strong performance. But that said, still a huge amount of pain in that stock index. We've done 20% off the record highs. So we are still in bear market territory on the NASDAQ, despite these gains yesterday and over the course of the trading week. And just uh, take a look at the big tech names. There was a difference, too, in how investors viewed the sector. I mean, Apple, clearly a standout, was one of the big stocks leading the major indices north, the S&P and the Nasdaq, a major player for those gains. But you did see an outsized gain in some of the areas of the market that are considered higher growth, higher risk, where you've seen more extreme selling. And you know, Meta has been one stock. Don't forget, before earnings season, was down 40-odd percent put on five plus percent in trade yesterday. The other one ju- that jumps out to me, not just uh, around some of the usual names, the usual suspects of Amazon, 1.3 higher, uh, for instance, Tesla. Uh, this is also part of the ARC Innovation Fund. There are some real momentum names in the market. And that is where we saw a fairly large step up, 5% gain in session for the ARC Innovation ETF, for instance, and Tesla, one of the key players there. So you could really see it was uh, some of the riskier areas of the market that were back in fashion yesterday. Let me we take you to the banks uh, again as we talk about margin expansion for the major lenders here. Typically, there is an argument for the banks, but even some of these names being tented over the course of this year. But we did see a fairly decent gain there for the sector. The Spider S&P Bank ETF uh, actually bouncing 2.7%. But as you can see, outsized contributions by some of those major players: Citigroup 4 and a quarter percent higher, one of the strongest ones, but still 4% on Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and Morgan Stanley. A quick look at the treasury markets: we did cool off on that yield on the 10 year so we slipped about four odd basis points on the back of that news from Jay Powell dismissing the potential for a 75 basis point rate move down the track. 2.94 is where we approached this morning. So still elevated around that 3% mark and I think if you take a look at that commentary yesterday that we are still setting up for more increases and question marks around the terminal rate where we finish up on interest rates, there is a reason why we are still seeing support on these yields underpinned on the US Treasury market. Well, Jerome Powell said he is adamant the U.S. economy can avoid falling into recession as monetary policy tightens.
2: I think we have a good chance to, to have a soft or softish landing or outcome, if, if you will. Households and businesses are in very strong financial shape. You, you're looking at um, you know, uh, excess savings on, the, on balance sheets, excess in the sense that they're substantially larger than the prior trend. Uh, businesses are in good financial shape. The labor market is, as I mentioned, very, very strong. Uh, and so it doesn't seem to be anywhere close to a downturn.
4: So just digging into a little bit more detail, the Federal Reserve made two significant adjustments to its May statement. The first outlined its quantitative tightening schedule, which will see its balance sheet well done from the 1st of June. The Fed will reduce its asset holdings, which have ballooned to $9 trillion, by $45.5 billion per month, with that amount doubling to $95 billion from September. However, the Fed is now warning that COVID-related lockdowns in China and the resulting supply chain bottlenecks will likely add to further inflation pressures along with the war in Ukraine.
1: Right. Okay. We have got Karen and myself here in the studio. We've got Jeffrey Cutmore on inflation and Central Bank Watch at Fred Needle Street uh, to speak to Mr. Bailey later. And we've got the great Carl Weinberg, Chief Economist and Managing Director of High Frequency Economics joining us as well. So, Carl, uh, messaging. Um, dare I say it, the Federal Reserve make a complete hash of the transitory nature of uh, inflation over the last couple of years. A lot of economists, dare I say it, made a complete hash of it as well. But Is the messaging back on track? sir? good morning.
3: Good morning. Well, the messaging is that they're going to hike interest rates to kill inflation. And uh, that's a good message in the sense, if you're worried about inflation... But history shows that this notion of a soft landing that Fed Chair Powell talked about yesterday is kind of more of a dream than a reality. Uh, Over the last uh, 50 years, uh, we've seen uh, the Fed uh, cause six recessions. Well, we can't really say they caused it, but maybe it's only a coincidence that uh, we've had recessions uh, after the Fed started hiking rates uh, six times out of the eight times they moved into tightening over the last 50 years. So it's good news. And there's a relief factor that it's only 50 basis points instead of 75 basis points you know kudos to steve for a great question but nonetheless all right, the end game in this if the fed is going to beat inflation by raising rates it's going to have to cause a recession to do so
1: uh, well, well, hang on a second. Is, it gonna, is there going to be a recession and, and high inflation because the Fed was asleep at the wheel when it should have actually been hiking rates, perhaps at a more moderate rate, to uh, douse this economy? It should have been buying back these mortgage-backed securities and these treasuries in order to withdraw a bit of liquidity. Now it's panic stations, isn't it, Carl?
3: i wouldn't call it panic stations i'd say that the fed as well as many economists including myself are surprised that year-over-year price increases have gone as high as they are many economists including myself and I suspect the Fed and listening to Andrew Bailey the Bank of England as well um, they're wary that there are temporary supply factors that are going to over time work their way out and that this won't become a persistent inflation so I don't think they were asleep at the wheel I think they were doing their job which was being responsive and reactive to the data and as the data evolved, they, they amped up their, uh, their wariness about inflation and they increased their, their actions to contain it. I think it was the right and prudent thing to do.
0: Yeah, you brought in uh, Andrew Bailey. So, um, Carl, good morning to you. Let let me uh, throw a question at you from Threadneedle Street and the Bank of England. Um, Clearly, the messaging has been fairly similar from the Bank of England. They feel that they need to take back this accommodation. But the reality, of course, is that the economic data on the demand side is deteriorating, as is the confidence data. Do you think it would be perhaps more prudent at this stage if they took a pause this meeting just to wait? and see what happens next with the Russian invasion and supply chain, supply chain constraints
3: good morning Jeff what a good question because there are two ways to think about what the Bank of England and the Fed are uh, are doing and uh, for the point of view of the Bank of England you know what what does the bank want from these poor people credit is already going down lending to businesses is going down lending to households is going down uh, what do they expect to do with higher interest rates make it go down faster since when is that a, a good idea so I think that that tightening to fight inflation in the UK working with demand management tools uh, hits the wrong now all right because the problem isn't that demand is growing too fast the problem is that supply is short and normally you'd look for lower interest rates to encourage investment to address that. Having said that, there is a case which can be stated clearly and makes sense under these circumstances for renormalizing interest rates, and we saw the bank move toward that kind of language in its last minutes. Interest rates are too low right now to be sustainable in the long term without causing problems. This is an opportunity to move interest rates back to more normal levels, and in that sense I can understand what the bank is doing, although I I still am critical that the timing is not ideal deal for raising interest rates right now, given what's happening on the demand side.
0: Of course, messaging and perception is incredibly important when it comes to this interest rate story. And Steve started with that with regard to the Fed. Let let me talk about the Bank of England, because at times I think people have been concerned that the messaging has not been clear and consistent from the Bank of England. Is there any way in your mind that they can maintain easy or relatively appropriate financial conditions, i.e. not have too much tightening in bank lending, auto loans, and so on and so forth, and still hike 25 basis points?
3: Uh, It's a delicate, delicate problem, and I don't think that at this particular juncture, given all the uncertainties that lie ahead, that this is the right moment to be hammering down a consumer whose spending is already declining if the retail sales data that we've been seeing are any indication of what's been happening and the survey data coming out of CBI and uh, BRC. So um, uh, I think that this, there is a time to do it and there is a time to raise interest rates to make them more normal. I don't think this is it in my mind. With China's supply chain issues lurking right over the horizon with the Fed hiking rates and possibly causing a recession in the United States with um, The increase in energy prices relative to all other prices eroding real incomes with financial markets coming off of a very Very huge rally over years with a lot of profits left to be taken I don't think that this is the optimal moment to start hitting demand Downward just to to see if we can take the edge off of prices. I don't think inflation is the big problem i think growth is the risk on my horizon
4: carl it's karen jumping in can i ask you about the housing market stateside because in the past when we've spoken about a recession often the u.s housing market has suffered and this time we've got mortgage rates at the long end well above five percent at this point and we've seen applications fall double digits as a result should we be concerned that we could be facing some sort of a property crash again stateside down the track
3: well karen i'm not personally concerned about uh, mortgage rates at 5% when we have inflation rates or year-over-year increases in prices, you know, running at almost twice that. So uh, for the moment, at least, real mortgage rates are still negative, and it's still a no-brainer to borrow as much as you can to finance your situation. Now, where you start to get into trouble will be when prices stop rising at this high rate. And let's just take a deep breath and remember that every time inflation has gone up, it's also then gone down so unless prices continue to rise at this rate forever there will come a time when those rates become more positive and more binding but for the moment at least all right it still makes sense to buy a house if you possibly can if you can get the down payment together and if you can get through elevated uh, borrowing standards Uh, so i don't think there's a housing crisis imminent but there could be one down the road.
4: Of course, jobs, jobs, jobs is what we watch too to see whether people remain employed and whether they can pay those mortgages. But the other big factor here is the uh, changes to the balance sheet. And typically we often focus on interest rates. It's catchier, it's easier for the market to understand. But I know the the lack of liquidity that you can see with some of the balance sheet tightening or runoff of of some of the exposures on treasuries and mortgage bonds can actually have a dramatic impact on the financial markets. This time around with what's been spelt out, what do you predict?
3: Well, you know, typically we would look for this quantitative tightening to be raising bond yields and therefore to be raising interest rates at the longer end of the yield curve. And we may see some of that, but, you know, if you held economists up against the wall a few months ago and you asked them what the gain from quantitative easing has been to the economy, they'd say, well, it's 100 basis points or so taken off of bond yields. So going back the other way, symmetry suggests that the total amount of pain, if you will, that we're going to feel from quantitative tightening is going to be 100 basis points, and it's going to be spread over a very, very long time because it's going to take a long time to unwind all of these asset purchases. So uh, I think there is some uh, fill up, if you will, to the uh, expectations that we should have for the yield curve to rise through all of this, but uh, not really uh, a deal maker. It's going to be the action at the short end and the sequence of 50 basis point hikes uh, from the Fed that's going to be driving the yield curve higher and steeper near term.
4: Carl, thank you so much for joining us today. Such a big day for the markets and the wash up from the Fed. Carl Weinberg with us, Chief Economist and Managing Director at High Frequency Economics. Uh, Plenty of central bank action this side of the world today too as the Bank of England is set to hike rates to their highest level since 2009 as the UK battles a cost of living crisis not seen since the early 90s. Governor Andrew Bailey is expected to announce a 25 basis point hike, the fourth rate increase in a row. UK inflation hit a 30 year high of 7% in March. Let's get out to Jeff for more. Jeff, we're expecting more forecasts on inflation, but also that rate move. It's quite interesting, isn't it? As we talk about a cost of living crisis that's pressuring consumers, some of them could face even more pressure today.
0: No, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting um, how there's been a, a long line of former committee members who've uh, spoken to the media and talked about how they think this mi- might be time for a pause. You know, Adam Posen, uh, Danny Blanchflower, uh, many of them thinking that, as Carl Weinberg was pointing out, as demand is already weakening in the UK economy, this is perhaps not a time to test the economy's resilience, to test the consumer's resilience with a fourth rate hike. But the messaging has been such, as you know, that it is likely that we will get this this 25 basis point move. And we're also anticipating that the uh, forecast on the inflation outlook could potentially nudge us briefly into double digits. But we'll have to wait and see as to how that ultimately turns out here. The the March hike was uh, described as a dovish hike because when you read uh, a lot of the commentary uh, produced by the Bank of England itself uh, about the current state of the economy, you might have been surprised when you got to the last sentence which effectively said and based on all that we've decided to hike interest rates 25 basis points. So the balance of risks has increased even further here as we've had another set of economic data which does show that consumer confidence is weakening, that retail sales are also weakening and that ultimately um, the overall demand picture looks to be a little bit softer. And it was very interesting uh, looking at the media commentary coming into this. I mean, I don't often read the Daily Express, but it struck me that their headline was interest rate horror as we go into the Bank of England meeting tomorrow. Now, I I don't suppose the uh, Bank of England governor uh, reads much of the Daily Express or takes much notice of it either, but he will be aware that the pressure is increasing on the bank as it takes this hawkish line on the interest rate path. And the other reason today is interesting, Karen, and and it may be lost on a lot of our um, uh, international viewers, perhaps, who are much more focused on just where interest rates are going and what that means for the pound, we do have local elections here in the UK today. And whilst that is not going to lead to a change of government, and it's certainly not going to mean the ouster of Boris Johnson, it will send a message to the Conservatives about how people are feeling about their lives and their livelihoods. And that is just the kind of message that could ultimately prompt Boris Johnson to reshuffle his cabinet. So it'll be very interesting to see what the outcome is of uh, the uh, local elections here and whether ultimately it is the so-called cost of living crisis that persuades people to vote against the Conservatives this time round. But We'll refocus on interest rates, 25 basis points expected here. That would be the fourth in a series of uh, hikes since December. Back to you.
4: Jeff, thank you. appreciate the reminder to go out and vote today. Uh, let's take a look at uh, what's coming up. And, of course, I think uh, the pound is going to be very fascinating today and to see whether we can wrestle back the narrative from the dollar. Rosanna and Juliana will bring you the decision from the BOE later on today, 12.55 CET. And Jeff will sit down with the governor, Andrew Bailey, later on today. You can catch that interview on CNBC.com from 1700 CET.
1: Well, coming up on this show, all that central bank stuff, which is absolutely fascinating, isn't it? Plus, the Chinese service sector activity, unfortunately, plunged uh, in the latest number as Beijing persists with its zero COVID strategy and, oh, the podcast, Karen.
4: All the latest on the Fed's aggressive rate path. Remember, you can check out our podcast.
1: Right, Chinese service sector activity has plunged to its lowest level in more than two years amid strict COVID lockdowns in key cities. The Kaixin Services PMI fell to 36.2 in April from 42 in March, the second steepest monthly decline on record. But Sam, good morning to you who joins us from Singapore. Does this mean that the markets and people get excited about more stimulus coming from the PBOC, more stimulus coming on a fiscal front as well?
5: Yeah, that's exactly right, Steve. And what we've seen today is uh, continued gains when it comes to the mainland markets. Uh, For the first day of trade, of course, the mainland markets playing catch-ups after that May Day holiday, but uh, certainly helping lift sentiment. Those further pledges, as you say, by the PBOC of more monetary support, uh, certainly more targeted approach rather than that sort of broad monetary easing as it's been sort of uh, suggested that they are taking a much more restrained uh, approach. But they are certainly talking about uh, focusing on those businesses that have been hard hit by the pandemic and particularly the services sector which as we saw in the data today has really been feeling the pinch from those lockdowns that we've seen in places like Shanghai but also uh, the partial lockdowns of course in the, in the communities that we've seen in places like Beijing what we have seen now is really a sharp deterioration in what is a key sector over in China. Of course the services sector makes up for some 60% of the economy. It is a huge generator of jobs and we saw uh, from that Taishin survey actually the uh, second sharpest contraction since records began back in 2005 and this was the lowest reading since February 2020 really at the height of the outbreak when most of China was of course uh, in lockdown. So this is just really further evidence now uh, of the profound impacts that those lockdowns are having in places like Shanghai. You've got to remember that uh, it was always going to tell a lot better story than numbers that we got in April because of course a lot of residents over in Shanghai were largely confined to their homes. For most of the month and so we saw with the smaller and private firms a pretty similar story to what we saw with the official firms as well. So as I say, this is being felt across the board. In terms of the breakdown, those new orders, uh, the business contracted further as uh, really those COVID curbs took a hit to domestic demand. Those companies really struggling uh, with that with those lockdowns. We also saw those inflationary pressures continuing and some companies actually had to drop their prices for the first time in eight months to try to attract some of those new business but at the same time you had those input costs as we've been talking about uh, also feeding in so those companies weren't actually able to pass on the costs and employment which of course we know is a big focus for the government as well that also fell for a fourth straight month although it was marginal but uh, as i say we are seeing some positivity in the markets investors steve really now betting on some of those stimulus pledges that we are seeing from the policymakers.